0: Welcome everyone to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast, and I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapacee, and alongside me, as always, is Paul Gillieri. Paul, here we are in the depths, the depths, the deep depths of December. That's a lot of alliteration.
1: And you know what time that means it is. (laughs) Is It's time to crack open (laughs) an icy cold can of Anderson Valley. Winter solstice seasonal ale. You know, I'm not gonna lie to
0: the people. We we are recording this episode in two different parts. Um, so later on in the episode, do you not will hear, break the illusion, Jason. I'm breaking the illusion. You will hear uh, us talk about how Paul is drinking that exact same beer, but he was <laughs> drinking it about 18 hours ago in the middle of the day, and we're recording it at night right now. So this is great. Just two two frosty beverages in one episode. <laughs> Give the people what they want. (laughs) There you go. Um, As you can see, we're both uh, fighting off whatever our children have. So if if we sound a little dicey, that's why. Um, This episode, this one, this topic is actually another mailbag. And it's from uh, a man named Brad Irvin on Facebook. And um, we're going to answer his question the best we can. And then we're going to start a new segment called essential songs. You have to do the the cool like jazz hands thing when you do that. Essential songs. Almost like essential oils, but instead of oils, songs. So you were talking about (laughs) Bath & Body Works a couple weeks ago. This is the Bath & Body Works episode, but for songs. I I assume that makes sense to somebody out there who listens to uh, every episode all the way through. So uh, we will pick one song that is the microcosm the essential track of the record um and we'll get to our lyric and like of the week but first brad's mailbag topic was paul if the band had a run of shows they had to play and a member was missing who should take their place obviously there's a bit of realism here so they should be living right Mm -hmm. and um we're gonna choose an option for every person in the band. Uh, I'm gonna admit right now that I actually forgot to choose one for Boom. I don't. I don't know if we were supposed to do that or not, but I did Um my mistake. Well, we, we could just do it right now, real quick. Sure. Boom Gaspar.
1: Um, so, so, so who, who's
0: who's coming onto the keys to replace Boom? Exactly. Who has the heavy hands to match? The Hawaiian Thunder, that is Boom Gaspar. Um, who do we got out there? That's a good keyboardist.
1: If you want somebody on the keys, I know. I, I, there's I know. a name that popped into my head immediately. Uh,
0: okay, you go first. I got it's gonna t-
1: you're never gonna guess this. Name. Okay, but I want to hear you. I want to hear your. Yeah, I, I want to hear your call. First. Oh, first, my 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 call is Paul Schaefer. <laughs> I like it. I'm going ball shaper. Bring it. I like it. Yeah. I like it. That, that's a good one. I'm going with, uh, with Tori Amos. You said Tori Amos. I did. Oh, wow. Yeah. She put keys. Oh yeah, man. She She's, uh, all over the piano. I just thought she was um, a, uh, a guitarist. No, no, no. Um, and I say that because Eddie spoke at length in his audio book about his affinity for mm. uh, the, the sirens, of, uh, of of music and i think that uh, tori is an exceptional songwriter and uh, i th- i think that she would lend a very interesting dynamic to the music and it would actually expand the sound a little bit i think she would be able to contribute and accent the songs in, in the same ways that boom does but uh i think that she she would bring a, a fresh new dynamic that i think would actually uh, given the way the band is starting to experiment more, I, I I would actually love to see a collaboration like that.
0: Interesting choice. Okay, so o- off the um off the cuff boom replacement for you guys. There you go. All right, let's dive in here. Uh, let's start with. Uh, Why do you choose? Where, where are we going to start? Let's go bass. Go slap a yes man. Okay, the four or five or six or twelve or eight string thing. We are replacing. Jeff Ament, Um, and funnily enough, we talked last episode about um, the sort of part of the crowd's kerfuffle about Jeff being maybe the culprit when it comes to um, how long these shows have been. The Gigathon shows have been able to be postponed, or I should say rescheduled, and you know why can they just find a replacement? So this is actually not that we agreed to that agreed that logic, but. This is actually a good segue into this week's mailbag question. So we'll start off with Jeff here, I guess. Uh, you want to go first? I do. Okay, what do you got? I'm gonna go with uh
1: Robert Truillo.
0: Oh, from
1: Metallica. Uh-huh. Uh, you know what? He he played with uh Jerry Cantrell. Mm-hmm. Uh he's performed with Ozzy. Mm-hmm. Uh, those of you listening who are familiar with uh Metallica <coughs> know that the Fifty-seven-year-old Robert Trujillo uh, has been a member of Metallica since two thousand and two, three, something like that, two, or same. early two thousands. Yeah, yep. yep. And uh, that's that's a, that's quite a long time, actually. Longest and, uh, tenured
0: bass player in that band. I know,
1: and, and it's so funny the uh, iconic stature that Jason Newsted has in in the Metallica lore, as as far as fans are concerned, but. Here we have Robert Trio. Let's not forget
0: has, uh, Cliff Burton, of course. We have to say Cliff yeah, Burton. S-
1: s- yes, God, God rest his soul.
0: Not alive though, unfortunately. Wasn't uh, oh, 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 somebody
1: else like Ron McGovern or something? Who is Ron McGovern? McGovney, That's yeah. He is. yeah. Um So uh, my vote is for for Rob. I think uh, Robert Trio brings um, that that uh, sensibility to the music. Uh, I think he can he can do everything from from funk to mm-hmm. punk. Uh, obviously, he could do the thrashing metal as well. <laughs> and, uh, I, I think he'd be able to hang, man. Uh, I really, really do. I think he, he has enough of a diverse base background that the crossover would actually, uh, he, he would really crush it. I think on, on a lot of the uptempo Pearl Jam songs, I think, uh, he, he'd be a really, really cool addition.
0: That is an amazing choice. I had not thought of Rob. Well, oh,
1: what yeah. do you think of that as a Metallica stand? Yeah. Uh, well, you're familiar band. with, yeah. with the, the, the... How would you characterize his style as opposed to Jason Newstead's
0: um, and then Jeff's? So, Jason Newstead was very aggressive. Um, he almost always used the pick, um, which Rob and which Rob does not do. He, no, he's he's, he likes pretty, finger, he's yeah. pretty exclusively fingers, um, which is a different sound, which I think was important for Metallica because they wanted to kind of go back to what Cliff used to do, which was all fingers. Um, he brought uh backing vocals, he brought energy. Um, there wasn't a lot of dynamism in his playing, but I think, at least on the Metallica stuff, he did venture out and do some other things flotsam and jetsam. He did a, a record with a band called Echo Brain, was his first thing since leaving Metallica. And so, I don't think he's as dynamic as Rob is Robert, as you mentioned, now, the, the slap styles. bass
1: would be an interesting technique to a Pearl jam song. We don't yeah. get a ton of that, but, uh, uh, I think that it could work on, uh, some of oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and we, we saw just the, the effect that you get with, with, with some of that kind of, the, 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 those funky slap, uh, cadences, audio slave. We, we saw a lot mm. of that as well. So, Tim
0: Comerford could have been a good uh-huh. shout. All right. Um, but yeah, you know, Robert uh, of course suicide tendencies as well. So he's been all over the map, played with all the best, as you mentioned. That'd be a great choice. Um Jeff's playing is not the I same. I know. Not, it's not the same. I think he's a little bit more um classic in his approach. Um so with that, I'm going to make my choice, John Paul Jones. Oh wow. Yes. I'm going big. You and, went huge. Yeah, legend, of course. <laughs> John Paul Jones, uh, for those who for some reason wouldn't know, is uh the bass player for Led Zeppelin. And he um he's still kicking around. He's in his mid-70s, I believe. And the dude can play pretty much everything. He is he's anthemically blues based. Um, if you obviously know Led Zeppelin's sound, yeah. Led Zeppelin famously a massive influence of both Jeff and Stone. And he can play with his fingers. He can also dabble in the keys, which is something that obviously they're doing now a little bit more as Jeff uh, does so on Dance of the Clairvoyance. So that's always a nice little uh, bit to have there. And so I thought that John Paul Jones would be a a great choice to fill in. What do you think?
1: I think it's an outstanding choice. I don't know how long, I don't know if he could pull off these three hour marathon shows, but (laughs) I mean, uh, you know, the skill is unquestionable.
0: If you only have to do, you know, a handful of shows, if the, if the run that we're looking at is, you know, like eight shows that we got to fill in for, he could probably do that, you know? That's true.
1: That's true.
0: Uh, I'm going to give an honorable mention, by the way. Oh, wow. I'm going to go with Ben Shepard of Soundgarden.
1: Oh, that's solid. That's, that's that's a solid
0: choice. More, more of a pocket choice, but I think that's, uh, you know, the chemistry. What do you think
1: somewhere. about Kim as, as a sub-in bass player?
0: Well, you could argue he'd be a good sub-in Guitar player.
1: I mean, well, bass and drum go hand in hand. So, in theory, you bring Kim on, he and Matt would mesh immediately. True. He's uh, arguably the best choice in, in retrospect. Kim Thale? Yeah. Well, he's the guitarist, but he could play bass too. Yeah, but why wouldn't you just get Ben Shepherd, who plays bass? Because Ben likes to sing. Does he, though? Yeah. Didn't he have, uh, what was that song on uh, Super Unknown that he did? Oh, uh,
0: uh, I forget that one. Yeah. I mean, that's, 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 that's like a good background vocals. Okay.
1: That's fair. All right. Where are we going next? You pick. Uh, Let's go. Let's go lead guitar. How do we replace Mike?
0: Oh, this is going to be, this is, this
1: was one of the hardest ones for me. What do you got? Man, I bounced back and forth. Uh, (laughs) Initially I was, I was pretty settled on uh, like your, your, your classic just Mm-hmm. amazing lead guitarists, guys like Satriani and mm-hmm. uh, Jeff Beck and um, Ooh, Jeff Beck. Steve Vai. You know what I mean? But those guys, I feel like they kind of operate in their own spheres. Very virtuoso. They are, mm-hmm. but they're like the Harlem Globetrotters of guitar playing. You know what I mean? Like These mm-hmm. are the kinds of guys that uh, they really operate best, I think, uh, on their own. And, and I want to get away from Kirk Hammond. I don't want to keep going down the, the Metallica well. Uh Tom Morello, I thought would be interesting, but I don't think the sound really really works very well with a band like uh like Pearl Jam. So I, I think if I if I had to go with, with one guy to play lead guitar, um it would probably be Jimmy Page, who's arguably the greatest guitar player living today.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh it's a really easy choice, but if I had to go way outside the box. Please do. John Mayer. That's a good choice. He, an, he mm-hmm. and Prince are highly underrated. Well, Prince is not with us anymore, but both Prince and John Mayer, I think, are highly underrated guitar players. And uh, I think both of them would do a fine job as a lead guitarist in the band.
0: I think that's a really good shout. I had not thought of John Mayer. Um, he definitely has the same blue sensibilities. Yeah. Uh, loves the Strat. Um, he, of course, for all you big time nerds out there, he now has his own signature model PRS called the Silver Sky. Basically a Strat that he has customized. Um, so that that would be similar sounding. Um, they play kind of similar. Mm-hmm. Um, Jimmy Page is an interesting shout because he obviously can play anything. He's blue bass, anthemic. Um, I'm sure is a big um, influence on Mike. I don't know that he could solo like Mike though.
1: No, I mean, I think Eddie Van Halen had, we sadly not lost him Mm. would, would, would be, uh, would be my my number one pick if he was still with us. But Jimmy, I thought was, you can't go wrong. And to me, uh, I just felt John Mayer was an outside the box pick. I
0: I like that. I like both choices. Yeah. I'm going to tell you my honorable mention off the top here. My honorable mention is one of Mike's heroes and Joe Perry from Aerosmith. Uh, uh-huh. That seemed like a, a fairly safe choice, uh, albeit, he, obviously, Joe is pretty old too. Um, so I'm going to go a little bit younger for a guy who has played lead guitar in a band called Bon Jovi for the last 18 years. <laughs> His name is Phil X, and he is incredibly talented. He comes from the same kind of background as Mike as far as who he uh, idolized. Um, A lot of the guys like Hendrix and Joe Perry and and the guys from um, like Jimmy Page, of course, Clapton, uh, Steve Ray Vaughn. And he can shred, but he's got the blue sensibilities, um, has a bit of that 80s flair and energy that Mike has. So I thought that Phil was a great... um, kind of outside the box. People don't really think of him too much um, choice. And if all of the guitar nerds out there, they, they'll probably be thinking this most, oh my God, that's actually a pretty decent shout. Um, yes. So I don't know how many of you know who he is, but go in YouTube, Phil X, literally just the letter X. His real name is like Philosophius Zenidis or something like that. He's Greek. <laughs> um, but <laughs> check him out. He, this dude can wail.
1: Love it. Good call.
0: Thank you. I, uh, I I did kind of also think about Steve Lukather for a minute, um, of uh, okay. Toto fame, but also massively good session player um, through the eighties and nineties. Okay, okay, where are we going next? Uh, let's move to the drum set. Uh, the drum kit. Okay, we're replacing Matt. And that is a tall order. I, I feel... mean, how do you
1: replace a guy who was a lead drummer in Soundgarden and Pearl? This is
0: this is both tricky and obvious at the same time. I'm curious if we went the same route. So where'd you go with?
1: Oh man. So my gut was telling me go Taylor Hawkins from Foo Fighters. Ooh, good shout. I thought that would be a really good mix. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Dave Grohl would also be a a fantastic addition. I think either one of those guys would be really, really cool. Uh, But I also thought, what if we just injected something brand new into this equation? Oh, okay. Like. I'm gonna go with Nathan Young, who is the drummer for a band called Anne Berlin. And if oh, you're you not like familiar, them, you? I'm a big fan of their yeah, sound. Yeah, yeah. Um and I don't I, know them that much. I, you know what, dude, this particular drummer though, a lot of some of their best tracks are very percussion based. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy's style just, it, it, uh, it's got a lot of range. And I think that he'd be able to bring a lot of the same sensibilities that Jack Irons did to songs while at the same time, bring the intensity that Dave did and the off timing that we get with these syncopated rhythms that Mike brings as well. I, I almost feel like Nathan can encapsulate the styles of all of the Pearl Jams drummers in a way that would lend itself to allowing the band to basically explore their entire catalog in ways that maybe they they, they don't currently. And that, that's not a knock on Matt by sure, any sure, stretch. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It's just a different way of approaching the tracks is all. And so, uh, and I got to say, I mean, I love Matt's edition uh, primarily just because, and we talked about this, the way that, that they've reworked tracks like WMA, you know what I mean? Some of Dave's stuff, looking back on it. Now, a lot of folks listening will probably say, well, the obvious choice here is bring Dave back. Right. I mean, <laughs> uh, well, either Dave Krusen, or, or uh, at yeah. Um, but, uh, did I said at uh, Dave, Abrazees. I always butcher abruzis Thank you. Uh, and, and I wouldn't argue with that, but I don't know how long the band would last. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, passing the buck to you on that one. Okay. Well, I think, Oh, but hold on. If you haven't, okay. if you haven't listened to Anne Berlin, uh, I, I just want to suggest that you guys give a listen to some of their songs. Um, uh, I guess some some songs to think about as it relates to them and, and, and kind of their discog- uh, discography. Last mm-hmm. thing I'm going to suggest is people go down a, a, a too big of a, a rabbit hole with these guys. But I think uh, a really good track to think about would be a, a song called Modern Age. Be a, a great kind of uh, introduction into into Nathan's drumming uh, and and the diversity of his sound. And, and I would also cite a track called "Hearing Voices." I think both of those those tracks. And ac- actually, you can actually find people on YouTube covering his drumming in those tracks as well, which I thought was pretty cool.
0: Excellent, excellent. So we have new music to check out. If it's, if yeah. you've not uh, ever listened to Andrew, now is your chance to get to know him. Uh, I feel like I'm cheating. When I say that I'm just gonna go no, with Dave.
1: That oh, that's fair. Yeah, I can't. I mean, <laughs> I it's I can't blame you for that. Yeah. I
0: mean, the guys prior. That's so, easy. I know. He knows the first five <clears throat> albums. The guys love him. It would be temporary, so he'd be cool with that. <laughs> and as much, and as he'd it, be
1: a smashing success. <laughs> yeah. It, it it would be
0: it would be a cinch. It it made that the first one I actually did uh, of this uh, exercise was drums, and the first thing I check on yeah. And I thought about it some more. I'm like, there, I'm sure there's other good ones, but like, it just makes the most sense to me. Um, I love the Taylor Hawkins shout. I think that's a great one. I think Chad Smith is another good one, as we saw yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, at Ohana uh, play with Eddie and, and his band. And, and some of us will see them in February on Eddie's solo tour and, and Chad can crush it. So that'd be a good shout to a lot of good options here. Um, so, so sorry, Matt, there are a lot of good options, but I, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, where are we going next
1: uh I think uh, stone we gotta cover, stone. cover rhythm this is hard
0: this this was hard I have a name that you're not gonna guess um and then a, a really obvious honorable mention, but i'm gonna hear what you do first
1: oh man <laughs> um, Jimmy know, page again <laughs> no no i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go there i i think uh i think. I think Paul Stanley would be interesting.
0: You know, wow. Like
1: this. Paul Stanley. Yes. I, 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 you know, man. I mean, <laughs> shout it, shout it, shout it out loud. Well, the, 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 look, the guys love Kiss. And, yeah. and, and uh, you know, Kiss has a lot of uh, great, great stuff. And I think that, uh, I don't think there's anything Stone plays that Paul can't. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, He wouldn't necessarily be my my number one choice, Uh, and that's kind of what what makes this hard because Stone's role in the band has evolved. Yeah, he's not just your traditional rhythm guitarist. Uh, You know, you're you're talking about a guy who was at the forefront of the songwriting process and essentially led the band into a guy who I don't want to say he's faded in the background, but but for all intents and purposes, he he's kind of and I'm I'm quoting him here. You know, he he writes music for Ed in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Uh, I think Pete Townsend would be outstanding in this role, mm. mostly because of the band's affinity for him. So I, I think my my number one choice would probably be be Pete. Uh, I think James from Metallica, James Hetfield, would be would be solid here. Really interesting. I, I, only because I, I think that James. Uh, he's he's a really solid guitar player. He's an excellent. It's just a, the, the styles are totally different. The styles are really really different, but I think he would bring in an, an intensity to the strumming style that uh, uh, it, it it get that old kind of you know head bobbing stone back from yeah, you from got back you in got Mama
0: Said and Here of the Day. Yeah, the I know. I know. <laughs>
1: but uh, you know what, man? Honestly, if if I had to go with one, it would it would probably be Pete Pete Townsend.
0: Uh, I'm sure Eddie would love that. He would probably. Die happy. Well, I'm sure you already die happy, but like the fact that you play with Pete in his band, oh, Ah. All right. Um, my honorable mention is a name we've mentioned already tonight, and that's uh, Jerry Cantrell.
1: Oh, solid.
0: I thought that would be a really easy um, choice. Of course, the guys know him; they grew up together. Pretty similar enough genres and and and, um, and expertise. However, to cover the vast array of music Pearl Jam has made over these last thirty-one years, I'm going to go with possibly the—I've mentioned this before—session uh, players, the session player of the last decade or so. His name is Tom Bukovac. Interesting. And if you don't know who Tom Bukovac is, check out his um, his YouTube channel. I want to say it's called. Uh, 501 homeschooling and he calls himself Uncle Larry for some reason. And he just kind of talks into the camera and plays these licks and like teaches you little things every now and again. It's it's just like a like a big brother or an uncle talking to you. Nice. Um, this this one of the cleanest, most soulful and intelligently expressive guitars I've ever seen. And Very cool. he's as far as blending with a bunch of dudes, he's he's incredibly chill, he's humble. Um Because he's an amazing session player, he he learns things insanely quickly, and he he honors the classics and everything he does—soul, classic rock, indie—and he understands how it all fits together. His his knowledge of the theory is incredible. Um, I I think he'd be an easy walk away best choice. Um, Although I'm sure there are plenty of others like Jerry who would do a very serviceable job uh, at the gig.
1: Those are solid, solid options, man.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, on to arguably the hardest part. Yeah. Replacing Eddie. I mean, obviously, if they got to this point, they could go. Well, if ACDC can do it with Brian Johnson, I think Pearl Jam can do it. So, sure. Who do you got? Who's, Who's replacing Eddie temporarily for you?
1: All right. Well, is there any greater task than replacing Freddie Mercury? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But uh, Queen thought that uh, a certain singer from the great band known as Bad Company, talking about Paul Rogers, could pull it off, and he did. I think Paul Rogers would be an admirable choice here, hmm. as would, uh, would would the boss, Bruce Springsteen. You mentioned oh, wow. Bon Jovi. I think uh-huh. John Bon Jovi would be an interesting fill in here. But, uh, but I'm going to be honest. If I had to pick a name, there's two that I think stand out. And I think what made uh, the Alice in Chains reboot successful was that they were able to, to kind of capture Lane's sound, but they were able to do it in a way that allowed the band to reinvent themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, now, in, in this case, it was permanently. For, in Pearl Jam's case, I think they'd have more luck with uh, kind of a, a, a guest cameo from a prolific singer like uh, a paul rogers or um a john bon jovi or uh uh, you know somebody of of that ilk bruce springsteen but if i'm being honest in terms of like what voices could really hold this together and uh and and really bring something truly special to the vocal performances uh, there's there's honestly two names that come to mind the first would be chris daughtry I knew you were going to say that. that. (laughs) I knew you were going to fall Chris. I don't know what to say, man. The guy just has the chops and uh, I've never seen, I've seen him cover uh, Phil Collins in the air tonight. I've seen him cover black. I think it's one of the the best covers of black deal over here. Uh, I think I I can't think of a Pearl Jam song that this guy could not sing and knock it out of the park. And, And look, if you don't like his sound, then obviously this is a, a detestable choice for you, but I really (laughs) think that, that Chris would step in and do uh, an admirable, uh, admirable, pardon me, job. And uh, I think that there would be a fidelity to the style that a lot of other singers wouldn't be able to bring. I think a lot of other singers would have to kind of do it their way. Whereas I think Chris could somehow find a way to blend his way with Eddie's way and, and bring back the essence of, of those songs, even though Eddie's not there. So I think he'd be a tremendous choice. Uh, I do have an honorable mention, though. Okay. Our very own Lenny Prado. Well, it's
0: funny you say that because he is my choice. He
1: should be. It's he a, is Lenny, my choice. Lenny, Lenny, I think, would be would just, I mean, <laughs> first of all, it would be a dream come true Yes. for for our good friend Lenny. And there's not a single song in the catalog that he wouldn't nail. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I was racking my brain. I'm like,
0: I could go Lejean Witherspoon from Seven Dust. Like, I can sing like with the rest yeah. of them. Corey Taylor from Slipknot oh, and Stone Sour Dad is too, tremendous, yeah. uh, Mark Lanigan, if you want to be in this, in a similar world, sure. Mark Lanigan. but then I thought, okay, Lenny knows the catalog. He can play guitar. He sounds a lot like Eddie. Uh, it's the closest we could come to a journey, like rock star moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, and I, I knew you were going to pick Chris Daughtry. So I, I said, I'm not going to pick Chris Daughtry. Like, oh, so yeah, fuck it, Lenny, let's do it. I
1: love it,
0: Let's get you on a plane. <laughs> You're playing the forum. Just...
1: <laughs> so there Good you go.
0: So, so who who is your who is your five then? Uh,
1: I guess First I'll choice. go Daughtry I'll go Dotry on the mic. Um, I think uh, for drums, I'll, I'll probably stick with Nathan Young. Although Jack Irons' pick was solid, uh, I, I like uh, as a lead. I think I would go. What did I go with Hendrix? Oh, no, I'm sorry, not Hendrix. Uh, I went with uh, Jimmy Page, I think. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, I think bass, I had us <clears> going <throat> with uh, Robert Torrillo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then rhythm guitar, I went with Pete Townsend. There you go. Yeah. Not bad. It's a pretty damn good lineup. And, Tor- and
0: ta- Tori Amos. And Tori Amos and on the keys. There you yeah. go. Yeah. So I've got uh, Jack Irons behind the kit again, John Paul Ray Jones, Slapa Debias, and uh, Tom Bukovac on rhythm guitar, Phil X on lead guitar, and Lenny Prado on the vocals. Not bad, some, gang. Some
1: dream teams
0: there, Ooh, man. I like this. What a good topic. Thank you, Brad Irvin, for this topic. This was great. Um, guys, what do you think? Give us, give us your uh, five replacements plus boom, if you'd like. Let us know. Let us know on, on Instagram. Let us know on Facebook. Let us know on Twitter. Let us know on Vira Carrier Pigeon. Whatever you like to do. Um, and, while and, you're at it, and while
1: you're at great. it. While you're at it. Review, subscribe, leave us a review. Tell us your thoughts. It could be a single word like yay or, or fuck. nay. <laughs> could be
0: good. Could be bad. You don't know. All right. Let's then move on to our essential song. Uh, first part. We're going to go to the uh, episode. We're going to go to the Riot Act album. That'll be the first episode the first part of this series essential song riot act paul i will go first okay i'm choosing i am mine great choice the the audible episode really put this over the top for me when when eddie described this song pardon me came into being and ultimately what it stands for i think finding safety and comfort within oneself is exactly what this album is ultimately about and there's a lot happening on the album emotionally. It's kind of all over the place, right? You got anger, you got sadness, you got love, you got longing, you got anxiety. But it all starts within. It all starts with number one. You got to get right. <laughs> hmm. Sorry,
1: You got to get yep. right. No pun intended.
0: No, it was definitely intended. That's why I left really <laughs> poorly. Uh, you got to get right yourself before you can help others. Kind of like when you on an airplane and god forbid the air oxygen max comes out you gotta put it on yourself first before you can help person next to you and i think that's precisely why the band chose it as the lead single off riot act i think there are other songs in the record that surely rock more or that i might even like more like i i really enjoy save you half full all or none you are but i think if you had to time capsule one track that speaks for the album it's this one Uh, I think it's kind of a a beacon of what the band was trying to say. So I would say essential song,
1: a right act. I am mine. Solid choice, so solid. In fact, I have to second it.
2: Ooh. Yeah,
1: I was tempted to go with "You Are," then I I realized, you know, it's 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 my favorite song on the album. That doesn't mean it's the most essential song on the album. And I say that because this is an album that really. Uh, delves into what it means to be human, to live and to die. It's yep. an album that really explores the nature of us and uh, human nature. It's an existential album on a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, pardon me. And uh, I think a song like I Am Mine, which is uh, in addition to Crop Duster, arguably, you know, those are the, the two tracks that seem to explore existentialism in a broader scope, but not with a, a broad brush stroke. And I think that's what makes I Am Mine so unique, is that it was the kind of song that kind of got the band back in the saddle again, post Roskill. Yep. And uh, I think it, it's the type of song that kind of uh, encapsulates what a lot of this album was about. And, uh, and I think that it was it, it's a song that also seems to encapsulate what you could argue is the birth of a new era in the band's recording and performing history and uh it, it completely altered in a lot of ways the way that they have approached playing music since and, and in many ways it's about mastery of self and if you look at the uh, the soundscapes that the bands have produced but more importantly the lyrical content we talked about songs like inside job and uh you know we, we talked about songs that, that showcase band members attempts to to look internally Uh, and unpack a lot of what it is that they were dealing with. And I know Jeff did a lot of that on yield, which is an album that came out prior to this, but uh, nonetheless, I do feel that that this was the kind of song that kind of, it it just seems to touch on being able to control what you can control, which Mm -hmm. is, which is you and the choices you make and the beliefs and principles and tenets that you hold and allowing those things to govern and guide you as opposed to fear and trepidation and insecurity. And I think the song does an amazing job of, of upholding that. And, uh, I think, you know, in, in, in terms of an album as as a concept, and again, this, this is not a concept album per se, but when you look at the, the packaging and, and you think about these forged metal figurines and, uh, uh, it's just interesting to think about, um, you know the music that's on the record and mike said that they were when they came up with this this packaging they were just trying to think of a title and and, and a a visual representation of what the music was like this kind of urgency you know it's loud and it's urgent and it's interesting that both of us picked a song that's not loud and urgent you know and and you think a song like save you would be the most essential track and and in many ways i think that's a compelling argument Uh, but i also think that uh getting your act together, which is what Jeff implied right act was very much about Uh, to your point and to your credit, that seems to be what a lot of this song's about as well. So I think, uh, I am mine is, is a fine choice here.
0: We did it. We came to an accord. Finally. (laughs) (laughs) What do you guys think? I feel like sometimes I think that I am mine is the obvious choice. I think it's like, it's definitely not the obvious choice, but for me, it just felt like it felt natural to choose it. Uh, And I'm wondering what you guys think. So let us know about this one as well. And uh, yeah, let us then move on to our Lyric of the Week. Right, and this week's Lyric of the Week comes from, ooh, again, not another album itself, but a recording session, and we're going with Education. Okay, Paul. Education. Of course, that would be a song that you pick. You are Mr. Education, as far as I'm concerned. Director of <laughs> Education at the school you work at. You teach. You shape the minds. So certainly, this is in your real house. And I, I give you the floor for the next, I don't know, I assume 37 minutes. But
1: <laughs> No, I'm, I'm going to keep this nice and contained here. You know, I, when, I think, when I think about these lyrics, the idea of questioning education, I think, is important. I've always encouraged students to ask why. I think why is is an imperative question to ask. And it's not out of line for a student to ask, why am I learning this today? I think sometimes there's this apprehension with a question like that. Will will the teacher be offended? Um, But the reality is, if, if you can't justify what it is you're teaching, why it's important, why it's necessary, then I think really it calls into question its relevance and the authenticity of the entire day's objective. So questioning education, I think is, is a vital critical thinking skill. And I think that, you know, we have a generation of young people who perhaps don't question things enough, especially in the in the age of social media where disinformation and misinformation and and the spread of those things is, is is rampant right now. It, it it literally can reshape policy and affect election results. (laughs) It can completely change the mindset of um, the way we perceive a global pandemic and the vaccines that we have developed to help fight it. Uh,
0: And and by the way, this is not an American problem. This is, a problem. Right.
1: I'm I'm not talking just domestic politics. I mean, I, I, I'm genuinely asserting that, you know, there just isn't enough questioning these days that it's very easy to, to just buy the headline as the narrative provided that it aligns with the narrative, pardon me, that we want to believe. And I think that it's not just the questioning of education, of education that's essential, but it's learning how to question ourselves. It's learning how to question our own points of view, our preconceived notions, the way we were raised and what we've learned. And I'm not saying that, you know, you have to throw away and discard all the valuable lessons of our upbringing. What I am suggesting is and jeff said this you know we talked a lot about his songwriting with a, a track like pilot and low light and how he had really kind of unearthed some things that he had swept under the rug of his childhood and it's when he started questioning that he was able to find some clarity and with clarity comes enlightenment and with light, enlightenment and clarity ultimately come uh, some degree of peace some measure of peace so I I think this song does a a really nice job. This particular set of lyrics, in fact, does a nice job of highlighting what I think is an essential process in learning and in living. And that is questioning our education. And uh, the other caveat here, of course, is how much does education define us? Mm. This line here is my education, who I am now. Uh, You know, there, there was a, a, especially in in the political sphere here in the U S a lot of talk about the liberal elite, as it were. And uh, oftentimes you'll fight, uh, pardon uh, pardon me, I stumbled over my words here. You will find um, political analysis that looks at college-educated grads and their voting patterns. And it's not uncommon for us to, especially in this country, to identify with a, a school or with a degree and to wear that almost as a badge of identity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whether we're talking, uh, you know, identification with uh, and and the franchisement of of, of sports, or whether we're talking about um, uh, where you get your degree from and the prestige that comes with that or the perceived prestige that comes with that. And so these lyrics talk a lot about looking around at your environment and questioning these things because that's the only way to ultimately overcome the fear that would otherwise be winning. And that's highlighted in this set of lyrics as well. And then questioning whether or not the education we have received is still relevant. (coughs) Sometimes we like to hang our hat on what we've learned in this false belief that because we learned it and we invested the time to do so and others invested the time to teach us, it must be incontrovertible, absolute truth. Mm. and the reality is that context and times change. We evolve. Society evolves. And it's really important for what we thought to be true in the past for, for us to realize that that may evolve in a way that, quite frankly, is not always a reflection of the reality we're living in today. So this is a much bigger conversation. I've barely scratched the surface of unpacking what I think these lyrics lyrics are ultimately poking us to discuss but i do think that uh, if you take nothing away from this lyrics other than it's okay to take a step back and question i think that that is arguably the most valuable takeaway present in this song
0: yeah uh we've definitely barely scratched the surface and i'm going to try and scratch a little bit more but uh, I think you kind of hit on it when you talk about liberal elite, right? It's, I um, mean, the, the graphics you always see are college educated versus non-college educated and how you how you parse those things out. Um, I kind of look at it from a, a different kind of uh, verses and it's, it's book smarts versus street smarts. And I'd say we're never taught the full picture at school. And often that picture is biased and, and washed with a certain color to fit the politics of those in charge of the textbooks was it Churchill who, who was paraphrased as saying history is written by the winners. Was it him or somebody else?
1: History was written by those, by the winners. Yeah. I believe it was Churchill.
0: Yeah. Well, in high school, I was only starting to question things. This is my personal journey here. Question the motives of people around me, uh, question my parents and not just, am I being bamboozled? Questions, but honest ones too, like trying to learn more beyond what the textbooks taught me or the teacher said, or even the religious teacher when I was still doing that. You know, little kids often, as you mentioned, ask why a lot. They're very inquisitive, and we're conditioned at a certain age to kind of stop asking that question, just kind of take what authorities say as gospel. And for some, this sticks, and you do as you're told, and your worldview is kind of determined by this. For others, though, that's not enough. And, And for those, like the subject of this song, I mean, is it is it Ed or is it someone else? They they've ventured out into the world and and see and experience things that don't really line up with what they were taught. Sometimes in a good way, sometimes in a bad way. But the inquisitive nature comes back and is, is what we were taught all there is? Is that who we are as a society, as individuals? All these questions. Uh sometimes finding new answers that make Old answers obsolete can make us question who we are. If we've defined ourselves by the old answers, then these new answers unravel the fabric of who we are. This is natural. So I, I, I love, love, love this song because this song is universal and it's not about love, the other universal. Um, so it, it's something that I think everybody can can really associate with regardless of, of where you're from or, or what you were taught. There's always this balance of, of respecting what you were taught but also questioning it to find more. So leave it to the guys to put together a song like this so well and with such really cool music that uh, it could make us talk about it for probably a couple more episodes. But we're not going to. <laughs> <laughs> what we will do though, Paul, because we will get to our live cut of the week. Ready? So live cut of Education, not a lot of uh, versions to choose from. You only got nine to choose from. Where are we going, Paul?
1: We're going to the Vic Theater in 2007. All right. Um, This is a vault release, which obviously means you're going to get exemplary sound. Uh, But (laughs) you mentioned the fact that, you know, we can't just pluck something out of 2003 or 2004 or 2005. The song simply wasn't played as often as we would have liked. It took them a while to break this one out of the woodwork. Uh, I therefore <laughs> I had to amend a little bit of uh, my constitution, as it were, for uh, <laughs> what and my, my prerequisites for what makes a song qualified or not. But in, in this particular version here, it's just. It, it, it's hard to qualify only because uh, there, there's something about that opening rolling drum and that edge just coming in. It's like, "Bah, we're here. And, mm-hmm. and I think that there's an enthusiasm behind this performance. It was a vault release for a reason. And uh, obviously not suggesting that they went to the well on this one, mostly because they uh, wanted to cite this particular version of education. But uh, I do think that, <clears throat> When you get a vault release, you're generally going to get a strong performance of every track all the way through. I can't imagine the band would say, "God, we really phoned it in with the uh, second encore there," or uh, you know, the, the the sound cut out, or we just you know, didn't didn't really play too well for a couple of tracks there in the middle. If they go vault release, I think there's something seminal about the the performance to them. And uh, no surprise here that this particular version is a standout version for me. Uh, I've listened to the, the select handful of versions that we have of this track played live. And uh, this one to me sounded, uh, it sounds the best. It's a crisp performance, but the sound quality trumps all in this case.
0: All right, let's hit the Chicago, Illinois, August 2nd, 2007. the interesting thing about this version for me and because we only have nine i was able to actually go back and listen to all nine uh this is the only one where stone plays an acoustic guitar
1: i like that though (laughs) i think it's a fascinating wrinkle to this track when when you listen to it on the uh, studio recording there is a dynamic that i think is absent in a lot of the live recordings and and I've said the same thing about uh some of the tracks off by namely Sleight of Hand and, and some other ones. And yeah. so sometimes I feel like you you need a certain dynamic with a live track that uh absent that it's just not quite the same. It doesn't deliver the same live. And so when you when you can incorporate a wrinkle like like that, I think it, it allows you to uh to kind of uh, see what the song sounds like and it realizes its ambitions. As a live track that way
0: hmm. that was my, my main note was that was a big difference i think the rest of them actually yeah i think the performance wise they weren't as strong but the fact that this was the only acoustic stone one was like huh i wonder if that had anything to do with it so interesting uh there's only the third time it was ever performed it wasn't performed until 2006 so you chose the third time ever uh they did play it i want to say the next night or two nights later um and how was it grant park i believe grant park in chicago so this was like the club show before the big show um so there you go gang that's the episode uh let us know what you think and we appreciate you guys stopping by as usual uh, we say hello and thank you to all of our new listeners new followers
1: And um, hey while you're all here yes exactly there's an algorithm it's hungry let's feed it a christmas cookie also it, known as a rate, a review, and a subscribe.
0: Yeah, you, <laughs> you got you to give it the, the eggnog. You got to give it the fruitcake. And mm-hmm.
1: you got to give it the uh, Christmas ham. Fruitcake? I don't know. You know what? I'm going to bake a soul cake. I'm doing them. Okay. Yeah. A- I actually, next I just, week, I'll talk more about why <laughs> a soul cake. Okay. Not, not I, this week. I actually
0: uh, baked some. Um, uh, they're like ginger snaps, but better. The chew, These chewy molasses cookies last uh-huh. night. So save one for you. me. Yeah, I will. I have, yeah, I, I bet have it a will. It
1: will taste delicious with, with the... this <laughs> fine can of Anderson Valley winter solstice seasonal ale, which usually... by the way, you want to hear some irony? <laughs> sure. At Trader Joe's today. Yeah. What do I find? Like seven, six packs just sitting there at my local grocery. I might,
0: I'm going to go get some, uh, I'm going to go get, after. By the way, usually we record at night guys. And so I can understand why he would have a nice uh, frosty beverage. We're recording middle of the day right now. And Paula said, F it. I'm yeah, well, presents, my, all, I'm, all my I'm,
1: fantasy football teams took a dump today, so I'm, oh, just, no. I'm, I'm drinking away my misery. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
0: I'm kidding. Fair enough, fair enough. I'm well, kidding. next week, guys, uh, will be the last episode before Christmas and uh, possibly the last episode before 2022. Still figuring out the, the week in between uh, if we do anything or not. But we may have a Christmas surprise for you. And that may
1: be... The 10 days of Pearl Jam. we got lots to talk about still, brother.
0: Oh, there, there is, true. Uh, but we may have a special guest. We may have our friends... From Rio de Janeiro joining us. I mentioned it last week from Black Circle. They got a new album coming out like now or like that next week. I forget when it's coming out. They'll tell me though, and hopefully we we'll talk to them next episode. And until then, you've been listening to
1: The State of Love and Trust.